Well, we are taking a brief break from the book of Judges and talking about persecution. Uh, Next week, we're actually going to hear from a representative from Voice of the Martyrs. It's an organization that specializes in in ministering to the persecuted church all over the world. This guy's name is Robert Brock, so you won't want to miss next week as he shares. And and I would encourage you, as you think about how you can get involved, because this can seem like an overwhelming topic, I would encourage you to Google Voice of the Martyrs today or Open Doors. That's another organization that specializes in ministering to the persecuted church. So Voice of the Martyrs and Open Doors, you're going to hear about both organizations this week. Um, That's a way for you to know what's going on and to be involved. And to that end, let me begin by telling you a story of the founder of Voice of the Martyrs. Um, In fact, I have his picture on screen. Uh, That's Richard and Sabina Wormbrand. That's him on the right. That's him and his wife on the left. Uh, They passed away in 2000 and 2001. It says here that Pastor Richard Wormbrand was an evangelical minister who endured 14 years years of communist imprisonment and torture in his homeland of Romania. So it says in 1945, so a few years ago, when the communists seized Romania and attempted to take control of the churches, Pastor Wormbrand began an effective, vigorous, underground ministry to oppressed believers as well as to the Russian soldiers occupying his country. In fact, one book even says that in 1947, you know, Pastor Wormbrand is training his people how to distribute Bibles. They weren't allowed to do this, but he was training them. How do you actually get Bibles out into the hands of people? And he would teach them that when you go to a place you're not supposed to go in the snow, walk backwards with your Bibles to get to your destination. Now, why would he tell them that, you think? So that when it became light and the guards were looking down on the towers, they would follow the footprints the opposite direction. Isn't that clever? (laughs) That's the kind of guy Pastor Wormbrand was, very smart guy, very passionate guy. It even says that when Russian soldiers invaded his homeland of Romania and there was great fear, uh, Richard had his Christian group meet the Russians with Bibles in their language. Wormbrand said that God had brought a Russian opportunity to Romania so they could spread the gospel. In 1948, he and his wife were arrested and, and she was imprisoned as a slave laborer for three years. Richard spent three years in solitary confinement, seeing no one but his communist torturers. He was then transferred to a group cell where the torture continued for five more years. As a Christian leader of international stature, Richard's imprisonment did not go unnoticed. However, though, when foreign diplomats asked the communist Romanian government about him, they were told that Richard had already fled the country. Adding to the confusion, Romanian secret police dressed up and posed as former prisoners, and they told his wife, Sabina, that they had attended Richard's burial in the prison cemetery. His family and friends were told that Richard was dead. But after more than eight years in prison, Richard was finally released, and guess what he did when he was released? What do you think a guy like this would do getting released from prison? He goes back and immediately resumes his work with the underground church. And then a couple years later, he's rearrested and sentenced now to 25 years in prison. And then he's released about five years later. And again, he resumes his underground ministry of helping the underground church. A group of Christians in Norway, realizing the probability and danger of a third imprisonment, negotiated his family's immigration from Romania with the communist authorities, who had begun selling political prisoners. 
Do you know what the average price for a prisoner was back then? If you wanted to release them, it was $1,900. But the government demanded $10,000 for Richard Wormbrand. Eventually, he did get out of the country, and in 1966, he testified before the United States Senate Internal Security Subcommittee, where he stripped to his waist, and he showed 18 scars from torture wounds covering his torso. His story was carried in newspapers throughout the United States, in Europe, and Asia. He was warned in 1966 that Romania's communist regime planned to assassinate him, but he would not be silenced. Eventually, Richard and Sabina started this organization called Voice of the Martyrs, which we're talking about, and they traveled throughout the world, establishing a network of more than 30 offices that provide relief to families of imprisoned Christians in Islamic nations, communist nations, and other countries where Christians are persecuted because of their faith. And his message has always been, hate the evil systems, but love your persecutors, love their souls, and try to win them for Christ. How many of you find that sort of message a little bit sobering, that kind of story? I know I do. How many of you find that you really can't, almost can't relate to that, right? That seems so foreign to us here in the West. Well, my goal today is to try to help us understand that I think we can relate to this in America. Next week, we're going to hear from the voice of the martyr speaker, and he's going to give us a global perspective on persecution. My goal today is to help us understand that you and I, too, will face persecution. It may not look like that to that degree, but you and I will. In fact, I was reading a scholar recently about this, and he says this. See if you agree with this. He says, there is literal, excuse me, there is little cultural advantage now in America to calling yourself a Christian. The home field advantage that Christianity has enjoyed for over 300 years is pretty much over because the worldview and the moral convictions of mainstream American culture are increasingly at odds with the worldview and the moral convictions taught in the Bible. So he says, if you picture a continuum of persecution, on the one end, you might have the mere absence of cultural benefits for following Christ. That's probably the least form of persecution. And on the other end, you have an aggressive persecution of Christians. America is probably now, he says, on this continuum and is moving from indifference to derision to exclusion to maybe even hostility in some areas. Where we are in that continuum as a country depends on where you live and whom you ask. Where God will take us as a nation, I have no idea. I'm not the Lord. I'm not a prophet. I don't know. Either way, God is God. So we have to be prepared too as United States citizens, as Christians here in the United States, how do we handle persecution? So I have three points I want to share with you today. How do you and I actually handle persecution if it comes our way? Number one, say it with me, expect it. We are to expect, according to a biblical perspective on persecution, that persecution is normal. So look at 2 Timothy 3. I have a variety of verses today. 2 Timothy 3, this is Paul talking to Timothy. He says, you, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, and there it is, persecutions, sufferings, what kind of things happened to me in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, which, by the way, you can read about in Acts 13 and 14. The persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. And he literally did. If you know Paul's life, he was stoned and left for dead, and the Lord somehow, miraculously, 
rescued him from that so that his life did not end. Verse 12, and this is the startling verse, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So let me go back to verse 12. Would you read this verse out loud with me again, just so we're on the same page? It says this, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Does your Bible say might be persecuted? No, will. It's not optional. If you're a Christian, the Bible says, and you are letting your godliness show in your life and in your words and in your deeds, at some point, you will face resistance, hostility, persecutions. This is a startling verse. But it's not the only verse that says this. Paul isn't just making this up. There's other places in scripture that says this too. 1 Peter 4, verse 12. Now this is the apostle Peter talking. He says, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal. And he's talking about persecutions mainly in the book of 1 Peter. That has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. And then of course, Paul that we just saw. And now Peter got that from the words of Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 15. Matthew 15, verse 20. It says, remember what I told you, Jesus said, a servant is not greater than his master. And would you read this with me? If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. So according to scripture, persecution is not optional. It is part and parcel of the Christian life. Now, you may have a very uncomfortable question. If you go back to 2 Timothy 3.12, if I am not being persecuted as a Christian, what does that mean? If God said I would be if I live a godly life and I'm not being persecuted, what does that mean? Well, it could mean a number of things. Yes, we do live here in America. It's different than what I just read about Richard Wormbrand and other places in the, in the, the world. And I'm not saying that, that you should intensely and intentionally bring persecution on yourself. Have you ever met a Christian like that that they're so good at bringing it kind of intentionally on this. That's not a good thing. I've often thought they should start an organization called Jerks for Jesus. Don't be a jerk for Jesus. <laughs> That's not the kind of persecution we're talking about. It's those who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. You want to let your godliness show, your example for Christ show, your words show, you will be persecuted. And so I was trying to think of some examples of this here in the West because it's different than what the global church faces. And from my time in pastoral ministry, I've heard many stories from, from my previous churches, from you guys. Let me give you some examples. In fact, it would be interesting if we could go around and just share, have you ever faced a story of persecution, ridicule for following Christ? And let me give you some examples. Number one, if you go away to a college that's not a Christian college, many students will claim that grew up here that it is different. If you live in a dorm where there's not a lot of Christians, you face a lot of social pressure to conform and do what they do. And if you don't participate in some of the things they do, you face a certain sort of backlash. Or even in the classroom, many have noted that sometimes you'll have a professor who's almost on a crusade against Christianity. It's almost like they're trying to deconvert you, if I can use that language. Many have noted that if, if you're a Christian and express a Christian worldview in the university setting, your, your professor may look at you funny or may not grade your paper as nicely, or, or just may think you're kind of dumb. Why would you believe that stuff? 
Let me give you another example of persecution. How many of you work? I love easy questions. <laughs> well, if you're a Christian, you know that the Bible has called you to work as if serving the Lord and not men. You are to do everything to the glory of God. And if you actually do that in your factory setting, on the job site, in your classroom, wherever you're at, your coworkers may look at you and say, hey, Schwartz, slow down a little bit. You're making us look bad. <laughs> Don't work so hard. But, but you can say, you know what? I am serving as if serving the Lord and not men. You can face a kind of social pressure that many have told me they face at work for trying to put in a decent day's work. Let me give you another example. If you take Jesus' word seriously to go and make disciples of all nations, at some point you will have to speak and share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you're going to share the good news, what does that mean you have to share before you share the good news? Often the bad news. You have to share how without Christ we are sinners. We are lost. We are facing the almighty wrath of God, the just wrath of God. And that is not a popular message. If you are just faithful to share opportunities that come up, you will face resistance in a form of ridicule, in a form of at least they're going to avoid you because they think you're a little bit weird. Let me give you another example. How many of you are a leader in some place in your life? <laughs> Hopefully all of you. <laughs> Whether your family, your friends, at work. If you try to lead in a way that honors Christ, there's going to be resistance. People may not agree with the values that you are trying to instill within your company or group or team or family. You'll face a form of persecution. I noticed when I was in Lima, Ohio, as a church planner, as we would see people come to Christ, what was amazing is these guys would come to Christ and their friends and family were not Christians. And so they, would, they were really excited at first, but a couple weeks in, they'd come back and say, Pastor Rick, Nobody around me is following Christ. And especially on Friday night and Saturday night when my friends are wanting to go out and party or do whatever, and I don't go with them and try to come up with an excuse, they're like, what's wrong with you? Do you, do you think you're better than us that you won't go out with us? Many have noted from their family that when they go to church on a Sunday morning and their family is sleeping in, their family pushes back and say, why on earth would you want to do that? What's incredible is that these new believers often have some of the best opportunities to share their faith, even more than some of us who have been believers for years. Another form of persecution I've seen in this area is with the Amish community. And I don't mean to put them down in any way, but if you come to faith in Christ and leave the Amish community, many have noted that they experienced a form of shunning and excommunication and their very own family may not treat them the same way the rest of their life for following Christ. They know what Jesus is saying in Matthew 10. If you look on screen, Jesus said this in verse 34, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but what does Jesus say he brought? A sword. Now, are you gonna put this verse on your Christmas card? <laughs> peace on earth. Oh, I brought a sword. To no. Here's what Jesus is saying. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Do you know what Jesus is saying there? That if you come to faith in Christ and your family does not, there's going to be resistance. That happens here in the West. That happens all over the world. 
that you face a form of intense persecution and ridicule, especially if you're a Muslim who comes to faith in Christ and your family is still very Muslim. This can happen in your own life. Some of you have lived this and experienced this. Even if it's not quite as intense as it is in other places, you know what I'm talking about. You know, I wish we could go around the room right now and just share stories of how have you faced persecution or ridicule or pressure for following Christ. And I think it would be eye-opening for us to hear, even here in Bern, Indiana, of all places, of what's happening. But the first way to respond to persecution is we are to expect it. Don't be surprised by it. You know, it's amazing what you can handle if you expect something's going to happen. Like if you come to church expecting me to preach three hours and I only preach 30 minutes, you're going to rejoice, right? But if you come to church (laughs) expecting me to preach for 30 minutes and I preach for three hours, we're going to see who's committed to this church. No, you're not going to like it because of all the expectations. (laughs) Let's go to the second one. How do we handle persecution? Let's say it together. Rejoice. And I have to admit, this is probably the hardest one, but I was so stunned as I read scripture after scripture of how the theme of joy connects with suffering and especially persecution. Let me read a few of these. 1 Peter 4 again. By the way, 1 Peter is all about suffering for Christ. It says, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fire ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. And then it says this, but throw a pity party, (laughs) but complain. What's it say? Rejoice. Inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be, what's it say? Overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, what's it say you are? (laughs) Blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rest on you. Of course, Peter got this from Jesus directly as one of his disciples. Matthew 5 says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you. And then Jesus gives some examples when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Why? Not because you're a jerk, but because of me. Verse 12, rejoice. Be glad. Because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The apostles took this to heart in Acts 5. Acts 5, verse 40. After they had been told not to preach or teach in the name of Jesus, it says his speech persuaded them. This is the Jewish ruling council who had arrested the apostles for preaching. And so they called the apostles in and they had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And then in verse 41, look at how they react. The apostles left the Sanhedrin, rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. And then look what they do. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Hmm. Joy. There is a real connection between joy and suffering for Christ, joy and persecution. Not that you'll always be happy. I mean, that includes that because Jesus said rejoice and be glad. But there's this deep and durable delight that no matter what happens to you, if you are in Christ and you are following Christ, many have noted that there is incredible joy for that. I mean, how is that possible? 
I mean, think back to this week alone. How many of you complained at least one time this past week? If you're a human being, our hands should be up. Have you ever complained when the internet is slow? (laughs) I mean, we have first world problems, don't we? (laughs) Or when the drive-through line is slow. (laughs) Never happens in Bern, I know. There is a deep connection between joy and persecution. How do we actually have that kind of joy amidst persecution when we have a hard enough time dealing with the mundane things of life? Well, let me show you real fast. Look back at Peter. He says, rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Hear what he's saying? You endure now knowing that a future glory is coming. The future glory of Jesus Christ. When he comes and you see Christ face to face, finally at last, you will be overjoyed because that's what you've been longing for presently. I mentioned earlier, it's amazing what you can endure when you know the expectations. Well, it's amazing what you can endure can endure if you know that a future glory is coming. I mean, we do this in life all the time. If you work out for a sports team, you work out and work out and work out, hopefully for the glory of shining on the biggest stage as an athlete. If you're a musician, you practice and practice and practice so that you can experience a kind of glory when you perform. Well, as a Christian, how much more so we suffer and suffer and suffer for the cause of Christ, knowing that a future glory is coming in Christ. That's future. But then verse 14 talks about present. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. Why? For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you right now. Isn't that incredible? The spirit is inside of us when we believe in Christ, but it also says in a special way, I think, When you suffer for the cause of Christ, the spirit of glory and of God rests on you in a very unique way. And I'm not even sure what that exactly means, but I think you know what it's talking about. If you've ever endured any kind of suffering or ridicule for Christ faithfully, and you remain true to Christ, and you don't give in to pressure, boy, you feel God's presence in a unique way that you've never felt before. Richard Wormbrand certainly felt that when he was in prison. Look at what he says about joy. I mean, this, this kind of quote is the kind of quote that comes from somebody who understands joy and suffering. It says this, it was strictly forbidden to preach to other prisoners. It was understood that whoever was caught doing this received a severe beating. So a number of us decided to pay the price for the privilege of preaching. So we accepted there the communist terms. It was a deal. We preached and they beat us. We were happy preaching. They were happy beating us. So everyone was happy. (laughs) Funny, but sobering. I mean, this is a man who knew deep and durable joy that his persecutors couldn't take away. Do you have that same kind of joy in your sufferings for Christ? Do you have that same kind of perspective? I mean, the Bible talks about this, not just with persecution, but James 1 says, count it all joy whenever you face trials of many different kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Let's go on to the third point. So we expect it. We rejoice. The last one is we have a laser-like focus on God through it. So how do we handle persecution? We have a laser-like intense focus on God through it. The book of Philippians with the Apostle Paul, 
book of Philippians is, was written when Paul was in prison, really under house arrest, and it's filled with joy despite the persecution. Paul talks about how we look to God and we, he shows us in Philippians 1.29 that God is in control amidst the suffering. Look at what he says. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, which I really appreciate, that's great, but also to what? To suffer for him. God has granted you and you and you and all of us the ability to believe in him if we come to Christ, but also he's granted to us and planned, and if I can use that word, ordained us to suffer for him. Paul saw the benefit of this because earlier in Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, he says this, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, being in chains, being arrested, has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else <coughs> that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. So Paul says, this plan of me being arrested, this is all part of God's plan. In fact, it's working out well because people know in jail that I'm a Christian and they're coming to Christ, and my brothers and sisters are more confident, more emboldened to go and share the gospel because I've been arrested. Now, do you think Paul sat down with a whiteboard as he was strategizing how to evangelize that area and said, you know what, I think I'll get arrested, and then this will happen, and this will happen. No, of course not. <laughs> he recognized that even though he was arrested, God was still working in it and through it despite the persecution. And even though you and I aren't facing arrest for telling people about Jesus, you will face ridicule, you will face people looking at you funny, maybe you're not invited to some things, you'll face all sorts of social pressure and persecution in that sense if you follow Christ. But don't underestimate how God can use it to spread the gospel. Don't underestimate how this can be a part of God's plan A, to use you for the glory and cause of Christ. So when you and I go through suffering of some kind for the cause of Christ, one of the ways we endure it as we have this laser-like focus on God and on Christ, knowing that he is in control, working out these circumstances for our good. I want to end today by thinking about this a little bit more. When we look to God ultimately, we realize that it's actually worth it to follow Christ. Matthew 10, I know I'm jumping around a lot in the scripture, but there's just so much in there about this theme. I read this earlier, Matthew 10, Jesus talking, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. When you, that's when you follow Christ. And then Jesus goes on to say, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Now Jesus isn't saying be a jerk to your parents. We are called to honor our parents, but he's saying in terms of first allegiance, it's to him. And then he says, anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And yes, he calls us as parents to love our kids and to raise them in the ways of the Lord, but our first priority is always Jesus, and that affects the way we parent. And then he says in verse 38, whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Now, there's a lot of uncomfortable things in this passage. 
We've got to take up our cross, Jesus says. We've got to die to self. We've got to surrender everything. To, that's expected of all of us, whether we are suffering in China or suffering here in the West. All of us are called to take up their cross and submit to God's agenda and his will. But look over what verse 39 says. Yes, whoever finds their life will lose it. But then listen what it says. Whoever loses their life for my sake will actually what? Find it. Now that affects those who are martyred for their faith. If they lose their life physically, they will gain it spiritually in the new heaven and in the new earth with Jesus Christ. But I believe that affects our life now. This is an incredible promise that if you lose your life for the sake of Christ, if you give your entire life to following him, it's worth it. You will actually have life, not just for eternity, but right now. I mean, how many of us are looking for life in so many different places? How many of us are buying lies that our culture keeps preaching to us that you can only have life if you have this thing or this stuff or this kind of standard of living or do this experience? That's not what Jesus says. Those things don't bring life. You want to find life, Jesus says, you lose your life for my sake, and you will actually find it. Richard Wormbrand said, there was once a fiddler who played so beautifully that everybody danced. A deaf man who could not hear the music considered them all insane. Those who are with Jesus and suffering hear this music to which other men are deaf. They dance, and they do not care if they are considered insane. Let's pray. And I want to invite the worship team forward for our last song. Father, this is a sobering topic. When we think about our brothers and sisters, probably over 200 million of them suffering intensely for Christ right now or in places where there is. Lord, in many ways, we confess that we don't even measure up, Lord. But I pray that you would show us, Lord, the ways that we too can face persecution. Show us, Lord, that if we are not facing persecution, at least at some point in our life, well, then it's probably because we're not, we're not living for you boldly and outwardly, Lord. We're not letting our godliness show. I pray that you would free us to be a people who don't care if we're ridiculed, who don't care if we face shame. Free us to be a people who find a greater joy, a greater possession, a greater pleasure in you. Free us to be a people who know the joy of following Christ, even through suffering and persecution. Lord, may we find that you are all we need and find that life right now. Father, we com commit all these things to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.